Coming to you from USL headquarters, this is Steal Some Time. Here's the USL's Kelsey Steele. Welcome on in to Steal Some Time. Episode 11 is here. I'm your host, Kelsey Steele, joined by Scott Stewart and Matt Calville. Welcome on in to week 23. We are moving right along. And tell you what, we got a ton to talk about this week. A lot going on from week 22 as well, so we're not going to miss any of that. Um, we have a few social moments we want to bring to your attention. Look ahead to week 23, and I cannot go in our intro without mentioning two guests who joined us on set, which is super exciting for us this week. So Leo Fernandez and Sebastian Guanzotti, the Tampa Bay Rowdies, joined us in-house for a one-on-one interview today. It was really great. You guys better stick around for that one. A lot of um, really cool things to say, and honestly, two just top-class guys. Uh, Scott, we really, really enjoyed our conversation with them. Yeah, they're they're great guys, and I think it's just always really, really cool when we can provide an athlete's perspective, but the we part doesn't matter. It's the, the them mm-hmm. part that people care about and want to hear their stories, and and like you said, two very well-spoken, um, very professional young players who have a bit of a fun side to them and uh, stick around and find out if they can understand Neil Collins. And when he speaks, <laughs> it's, it's a very entertaining answer. <laughs> we'll get we'll get to that one here in a little bit. But first and foremost, want to start out with what's going on in the championship and around week 22. I spent this past weekend out in New Mexico, so made my way back to Albuquerque. And let me tell you, it was as great of a second trip as it was a first <laughs> trip. Um, not only can they eat in that state, the people are the nicest, most genuine, most passionate people, I swear to you, I've ever met. I always feel so welcomed when I come into New Mexico and, uh, you know, the New Mexico United faithful, they really truly are one of a kind in this past week and it was Meow Wolf Night. So for those of you who aren't uh, familiar with Meow Wolf, it's this interactive uh, I was interested to see how you would describe this. I cannot tell you how many people I asked. I said, how would you explain Meow Wolf? Because I go back to the headquarters and I'm like, I went to Meow Wolf. And they're like, okay, what does that mean? And I'm like, well, it's, it's like an art exhibit. And they're like, okay. Okay, like why is that cool? And I'm like, you guys just don't understand. <laughs> it's an art exhibit in space with a lot of just like floaty things and colors and the ugh. the best way I think somebody explained it to me was I think it might have been Devin Sandoval said that it was like a psychedelic experience. And don't quote me on that being Devin. I, I could be I could be mistaken, but um, every every room in this museum is a whole different realm. It's so cool. It, it's so fun. So what they did is a made an entire Meow Wolf, um, really it was like a carnival on Saturday night at this game. You had people dressed up in costumes. Um, there was somebody who, a woman who was dressed as Devani Sandoval, <laughs> <laughs> had the, the dread wig. Um, it, it, I, the costumes were honestly outrageous. We'll have a piece going up later this week on, on that experience as a whole, but um, just want to get my give my hats off to um, New Mexico and what they're doing out there. I had a conversation with um, one gentleman he told me he actually drives six and a half hours from Denver for every single home game, sleeps in his car and on that on the night before and then that morning, yeah, gets up, tailgates, goes to the game and then goes home. And I'm like, that's just the the stories that are in around this league. It's it's incredible, and um, I think that just gives you a little taste of, of what's going on around yeah, there. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, the, and and people wonder why New Mexico has become the buzz that they have. It's like you got you got stories like that, and 
And we're talking like macro and micro levels, right? From the bird's eye view, everything New Mexico does is, is something that's very relatable, very humanizing, something that is easy to attach to. But even on like the micro level, like what you just said, all these stories that come out about like fans who have just committed themselves like crazy distances, like obviously a Denver to Albuquerque, everyone who made the trip midweek to get up to Minnesota, those, yeah. and I'm not even talking the people who flew, the people who drove, took days, multiple days off work to like break up how they were going to get from Albuquerque to Minnesota for the Open Cup. These fans are some of the most impressive in the championship right now, and it's it's very, very early days for them. I'm just really excited to hear from you that the organic experience has been there since February, and it's still there in July, and we hope to still see it there October, potentially November. That's part of the beauty of what's happening there is the, the whole idea of the Mal Wolf Night. Like, that wouldn't work in Louisville. No. That wouldn't work in Indy. But it's exclusively, it's, it's genuinely New Mexico, and you, they don't need the explanation of what Meow Wolf is. They know, they just know. So they, <laughs> so they in them. So they fill up a stadium with what Meow Wolf is. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you say in Tampa Bay or you know any other market, and you go, hey, we're gonna have a Meow Wolf night, and it's gonna be crickets. Yeah. I think one of my favorite questions I asked a fan on Saturday night was, um, I was like, why does this work here? You know, I was like, this is a c- crazy concept. Why is this whole Meow Wolf and soccer partnership, why is it going? And he's like, honestly, we're just a bunch of weirdos in New Mexico. <laughs> and he was like, we own this and roll with it because that's who we are. We we are strange and we're weird and we own it. And it's it's who we are. And I was like, I love that. Yeah, it's you know, great. They totally own who they are, and they're there for the experience that you've got people who have spent years as artists who are going to soccer games. And and that's Peter Trevisani's whole vision, bringing people together who never would have gone to a soccer game or, you know, just different, you know, ethnicities and just a diverse culture and really bringing New Mexico together. So yeah. That's my whole tangent. I just wanted to say thank you to um, all the New Mexicans for you know welcoming me with open arms again. It was such an incredible experience, and I'm already looking forward to to my next trip. So uh, uh, Justin and Alec Papadakis, let me go back out there. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but on the field, New Mexico is also performing. So I definitely wanted to make sure that we touched on that this week. They are starting to find that form that we saw uh, you know, a few months back. They hit that rough patch. And I know, Scott, we talked about it a few times of whether or not they were really going to be able to, to turn it around and, and, and get it back going. And I tell you what, I think I think they found their groove. And, and personally, for me, I think the key for this team, with as deep as they are, I, I'm very encouraged, first and foremost, by their depth. So, I mean, you have to look at Saturday night's game against, um, uh, against Austin. They had Devin Sandoval, Juan Pablo Guzman, and David Estrada coming off the bench. Mm-hmm. Those are not in your starting 11, guys. That's... That's a statement in itself. You have a very deep bench, and I think when you have guys like that coming off of it, it, it creates a lot of difficulties for the people on the, on the other side of the, of the lines and then the pitch. And personally, for me, I think the key for success for this team is for Santi Mora to be involved. Yeah. If, if he's not involved every single minute of every single game, I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, he's he helps make it happen. He's not like the lone catalyst by any means because that team's incredibly talented. Oh, yeah. I obviously want to point out the fact that although they didn't win the game, it was still a really good showing. I am in full agreement with you that I think we are finally seeing New Mexico maybe turn the page a little bit and get back to who they were. A lot of that has been helped with rest, though. I think that they've had, like, 
they've had three games in two and a half weeks, but before that they had like a 10-day break where time was just on their side. They were able to recover. They were able to figure out, okay, what is going wrong? We don't have to play three games this week. Let's all get together. Let's sit down and let's break down what's happening to us. We've seen it in their last three results, the win over Sacramento, uh, the win over El Paso, which was equally as impressive, that Wednesday night win, and then Saturday's draw against a, a very goal, a very good Austin Bull team who's just above them in the standings. So I think they're, they're getting there. I don't want to place the weight of expectation on them the same way I did with El Paso a few weeks back, and uh, we'll just let that one go as is. But um, I think they're, they're on the way they're still some distance from Phoenix, and that's that's very appropriate and I think very fair to say. But if they can perform like this now, again, I think the, the relative lack of understanding of how important the playoffs are, guys, you just need to get there. And hosting is great, and it's fantastic if you can make that happen. But if you can just get to that stage and you feel like you can beat anybody, it does not matter if it is Phoenix, Reno, Fresno, Austin, anyone who's above you. You just have to be there. And if I had to pick any other squad but Phoenix, who definitely believes in what they're doing, it's New Mexico United in the West. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I don't think it matters for New Mexico if they host or not. Listen, their fans are going to travel no matter where they go. They went to freaking Minnesota for crying out loud. They're going to travel for the postseason. So I really don't think that that goes much into um, you know into the scenario when we're talking you know postseason scenarios. But. You're, they, they've got they've got a little work ahead to crack that top three, to really get back to where they want to go. We saw them finally get back into that top ten in the power rankings this week. But, I mean, they're at 30, 33 points now in fifth, and, you know, they've got to get closer to Fresno in third, and they've got 40 points. And you're talking Portland, L.A., San Antonio, and Orange County coming up next. I think that if you can get, dare I say it, nine points – out of that stretch yeah that's that's big time and i think the team that they'll struggle with the most is gonna be san antonio yeah yeah i mean having to travel to san antonio is going to be um difficult as is i think that the 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 big thing for me is the draws they've got nine draws this year and that's that's just as many as anybody else in the west and again it's not the biggest element of concern where they're at in the season right now but it is something where you do raise an eyebrow if you get to the uh, Orange County game or through the Orange County game and you're suddenly heading into the second week of September, if those three wins are suddenly three draws and you only pick up one additional win, you just start to feel like, okay, maybe we thought we were going to get there, but we didn't quite get to where we wanted to be. It's just something to keep an eye on. Draws aren't, again, draws aren't like the most worrying uh, result that's available because obviously you're still picking up a version of points. But for New Mexico, for how they play, for how important it is for them to keep momentum going, keep that train rolling, I think that they're going to want to capitalize. Nine points out of 12 would be a beautiful haul. But how many of those draws were leads? Yeah, and that's a great question. And I don't don't have the number off the top of my head, but it feels like a lot of New Mexico's draws came – were leads initially. Yeah. And right. ended up as draws. Yeah. Which again, and then you're just talking about a standard. And one thing that I, I really like about this league is you have players who talk about mentality being everything for their squad. And if the mentality is we need to go out there and we need to establish ourselves and you get in a lead and it's great, but you don't have the mental fortitude to see the game out and produce what's being demanded of you for an entire 90 minutes. This is where you end up. 
obviously time will tell how things go for them, but it's, it's not the most encouraging, uh, in terms of how many are actually sitting in the draw column. What is encouraging is two out of the last three wins unbeaten in three, a decent stretch ahead with plenty of opportunity, a lot of opportunity. And I think if you're looking at New Mexico, do not count them out at at this point in time, you know, we've, we've got 10 weeks left in the regular season. And I think that, New Mexico knows that they have something to prove. Yep. And I think they have been that team that that thrives off of that that doubt a little bit. And the slump came right in the middle of the season. Mm-hmm. The perfect, literally yep. the perfect time to slump. Mid-season, if this is their kicking off point, October is not that far away. Realistically, it's not that far away. It's terrifying. Hold on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> elsewhere in the in the West, and another team I think that continually gets overlooked is this Fresno squad. I mean, if we take a look at what Fresno has done this season. They're third in the West, stacking up at 40 points. They're 4-1-0 in their last five games, Scott. <laughs> I think what's even more incredible is when you look at their win over Vegas in Week 22 – they passed their point total from 2018. That is remarkable. And there's, I know there's conversation around, you know, w- how difficult it is to get an expansion team up and running. And they were one of those expansion teams in 2018. So, okay, whatever, that can be a, a portion of that, sure. But to be at this point in the season, to be, to be going into week 23, and they have already surpassed that point total from 2018 is absolutely remarkable. And so for me, when we're comparing these two teams, because that's what we have to go off of as well, 2018-2019 with Fresno, what do you think the difference is for this West Fresno squad in 2019 compared to 2018? A lot more goals is cool. the, yeah. the first place to start, obviously. I think that um, – you know, C.J. Cochran's been great, but but they weren't the worst team defensively. In fact, I think they were one of the better teams defensively last year. It's just they couldn't get it going on the other end. And and Jamal Johnson's obviously been a big part of that, or was a big part of that last year. But he was joint top scorer on nine goals last year for the whole season. He's got seven. Him and Kudus Law are both on seven at joint top right now. They're just past the halfway mark. So you can tell that something somewhere between change where Adam Smith, the the – Coach sat everybody down and said, all right, if, let's keep this defensive record. That's great. That part's awesome. Let's maybe figure out if we have to maybe give up a little bit of that defensive duty in order to free us up in the attack. And like I said, I think that's where we're at right now. They've got 36 goals on the board in the year so far. Uh, they've only, they only scored 44 last year in the hole. So eight goals off the pace. It's silly to maybe think that it is as simple as that, but they had thir- or they had 12 draws last year and they have seven already. So it's not it's not necessarily that. It's that they're finding the back of the net. They are truly breaking ground on a special project. And I think Fresno is um, Fresno is a team, a group that has maybe as many unsung heroes as as, as any other championship squad, at least Ooh. in the Western Conference. I like that They've take got a, a lot. lot of guys who are flying under the radar but are doing business, and that is the most important thing. In the end, that was, that's what matters. You know, sometimes you'd rather have a bunch of workhorses than a bunch of stars. Yep. I think that Tampa Bay Rowdy squad last year is case in point in that. They had a bunch of stars, and look look where they ended up. You yeah. know, I, and I think this Fresno squad continues to do really good things, and j- they just hang up there, you know? And again, I would not have put that as one of the teams when we're talking back in March that they were going to be where they are now. Yeah, I do want to say 
there are going to be some questions that are thrown this way. First off, our, our thoughts are with Arun Basulovic, who uh, mm, broke yes. his leg in the, the game on Saturday night. That was absolutely heartbreaking to, to see a player that talented go off. But he's a big piece for them. He creates a lot of what they are able to produce going forward. And, and they're going to have to find a way to either look to multiple other people or find somebody who can produce um, the same amount of weight in terms of chance creation. So... Uh, Fresno, great to this point. They're clearly flying and, and eclipsing what they've uh, what they accomplished last year, but they've still got some work to do, and, and sadly for the wrong reasons. We'll uh, keep an eye on Fresno here in the upcoming weeks and see where that story heads. And but elsewhere, over in the East, we got to talk about Pittsburgh. And the Pittsburgh. There were some bold predictions thrown around this office this week. Re e the Pittsburgh Riverhounds SC. From the man Scott Stew himself. Shall yeah, we'll keep those yeah, under wraps keep for the most part. Wraps, <laughs> for I, the most part. But I wrote it down, you guys. So yeah. we'll we'll chat oh, again proof. here in November. There's always proof. Um, Pittsburgh looks good, yeah. and I'm gonna take you through this a four zero, dare I say it, thrashing over Memphis. Um, Pittsburgh. It is time to give them credit where credit is due. Um, they they outshot Memphis twenty three to four, and we're talking about a Pittsburgh side that isn't notoriously known for being you know super heavy offensive production. That's like a month normally for the Riverhounds, isn't it? <laughs> really, I, I don't mean that as a shot. No, it that's truly, not, truly that's is not their game. Yep. Yep. And I think that's a difference maker right now. And yep. I mean, I will say Memphis can't catch a break, and I I truly feel for the side. I mean, they are you've been making acquisitions left and right, really trying to to work out the kinks there, and they really they just can't get that train rolling. But, I mean, you're looking at a Pittsburgh, Scott, Pittsburgh side that on against Memphis had four different goal scores in that game. And even more, when we're looking at, at Pittsburgh as a whole, they haven't lost at home yet this season. That's big. Only two other teams haven't lost this season. You know who those are? At home? Mm-hmm. Indy? Mm-hmm. It's not Tampa Bay. I know that. It's it not is, North Carolina FC. It both both correct. Who we got? Really, really, Scott. There's a very obvious. Is it one. Phoenix? Give it, yes. Yeah. Okay. Phoenix. Well, yeah. 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 I mean, sheer numbers. It's got to be Phoenix. Right. Yeah. Right. I, well, once you think about the obvious, yeah. Well, sometimes I need to get hit by the the two by four to really <laughs> get my brain in full gear there. But Jesus. yeah. Yeah, Indian Phoenix, and that's that's not a huge surprise, honestly. Right. I, I think that makes sense, and um. I look at Phoenix and I, or excuse me, I look at Pittsburgh and I'm I'm extremely encouraged. And you look from this past month as a whole, from July to August, they've jumped from ninth to sixth in the last month. Okay, great. 13 points they've put on in the last month as a whole. So if you guys want to visualize this in, in your minds for you, you have got Indy who put on six points this month. Nashville put on nine. NCFC put on seven. Tampa, obviously, with 10. The only other team who put on more points in the East was New York mm. this month. This was a wow. massive, massive month yeah, for Pittsburgh. Yeah, Red Bulls, too, are on a run, for sure. Yeah, I I, I think that it, Pitt, Pittsburgh has to be in that conversation in the end. No? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that the the high-powered attack we've seen over the last two weeks is not sustainable. And But the thing is, I don't think they'll pretend that it is. You know, I don't yeah. think that they're relying on that to make it happen. You know, five, their last five out of their last six games, they've either kept a clean sheet or given up just one goal, the outlier being Hartford, and they smacked them 4-2. to two. So it wasn't something where it was just like, oh, no, we're leaking goals, or oh, no, we're not, you know, 
piling them in on the other end. It's They are so middle of the road. And honestly, it is a little bit of lily ball where they're just very content with getting one or two and in trying to, to hone down defensively. The same thing could be said for Nashville, though, who has almost the exact same record. They've won three straight. They've scored uh, one less goal but allowed one less goal as well. Two teams that I think are, are in very similar position. I think we're choosing to hit Pittsburgh as much as we have, at least now, because basically since they lost to Charlotte. An impressive draw against Tampa Bay, who's always a handful regardless of where they are. An impressive win over North Carolina FC. And then obviously the two lopsided results over not contenders in Hartford or Memphis, but still to put four up against anybody in the East when you're at Pittsburgh's level is an achievement that's noteworthy. So I think that they deserve to be where they're at right now. Another team that is you're just going to have to wait and see when they get to the grinded out stages because I swear Bob Lilly's just like a, a waiter, like grind and pepper, like <laughs> should I stop? You just say when. But he figures it out, they figure it out, and I'm, I am very confident that if Pittsburgh can keep themselves out of the play-in games, they're going to be in good shape. You mentioned comparing Nashville and Pittsburgh together, and that that hurts me inside because <laughs> on any given day, I, I think that could go either way, honestly. Yeah. You know? And I think that um, Pittsburgh is going to live and die on, a, on its offensive production. And right now, Nashville and Indy are the reason I have trust issues. Yeah. I think that, like, I mean, I, I, I can't get behind either of them. And we've talked about it on the pod, off the pod. They I, My biggest expectations were coming out of those two sides yeah. this season. So No, that's fair. And, I, I mean, Indian uh, Indian – Tampa Bay have only allowed 15 goals. I think Nashville's like the third best defensive record. So if you'll follow me, I think the theme that we're looking at here is be very, very good defensively. Mm. Be better than average offensively, and you'll find yourself in the conversation for the top four in the East. Hot. How are they not scoring more in Nashville? I, I, that's a great question. And and that's the, the same criticism could be said of Indy 11, who have only put up 30 on the Indy scored less than – any other team in the top eight outside of Louisville who scored 29. So I think that you could always ask for more offensive production for the two high-powered offenses that uh, Nashville and Indy both possess. They've just chosen to go the other way. I don't know if it's a Gary Smith, Martin Rennie thing, but both teams are high-priority defensively, and I'd argue that it's paid off so far. A lot of arguments going to come out of this one as well. Um, I'm just, I just want to throw in, and we're talking about offensive production and how the Western Conference fits into this conversation. Take a look over at Phoenix, mm. and they produce goals. And if we want to get down into goals, it, goals, baby. They're they're fifty six of them. And we'll leave it at that. When we come back into the studio, we'll be welcomed by Sebastian Guinzotti and Leo Fernandez of the Tampa Bay Rowdies. A very, very good conversation coming your way. Do not go anywhere. Hi, I'm Landon Donovan from USL San Diego, and you're listening to Steal Some Time. Welcome on back in to Steal Some Time. I am now joined by Leo Fernandez and Sebastian Guinzotti, two guys coming off a record-breaking weekend in Charleston. 5-0 win, the largest road victory in club history for the Rowdies. This duo joins me now, guys. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming. Oh, thank you, and Thanks a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Two guys who are both with Tampa Bay in, in 2018 and a side that had its fair share of struggles last year. It's been a complete 180, 360 even. And from the athlete side, I'm curious what you guys think the difference is this year compared to last. Uh, there's so many things. Um, I guess I guess I would start by saying just just our, our mentality. You know, going into to preseason and the first game from then on, from then on we just – 
we we stuck together as a group and uh, we've been we've been buying into the system. Coach Neal has, has uh, put a system in place, and I think that's uh, that's one of the major keys. Seba, what about you? Yeah, no, um, like he said, you know, uh, the coaches did a great job picking out the new players that came into this year with the right mentality, and I think um, you know they fit into the to our game system, and they've been everybody's been 100% focused and working so hard for you know for us to be up there. The dynamic in the middle of 2018 was really interesting for you guys with Neil obviously switching from being a player and be on, being on the field and being your friend to kind of being your boss, you know, making that quick switch. What was that like for you guys going through that transition of suddenly it's it's Coach Neil, it's Coach Collins? No, I think, you know, Neil has a great vision for the game and, you know, I kind of see myself in him and, and how, the way he sees the soccer. And um, like we said, you know, the, the new – New teammates that came in, Neil had to retire. It was a whole mess last year. We kind of got together at the end. Um, it was a whole different team from start to, to end of the season. And I think, um, you know, um, we just got to keep pushing forward and we're doing the right things. I, uh, like, you know, like we said, um, Neil put this uh, team together and I think um, they did a great job. Do you think Neil's style of play demands more out of you guys? He's definitely got a different perspective in, in tactical, especially, I think. Do you think that he demands more out of you guys? Um, yeah, for sure. And, and when we're not doing it, he, he's not afraid to let us know. So I think he, he holds us accountable, accountable, and then we hold each other accountable now. And, you know, I think his tactics, he was, you know, a great center back, great defender, and I think uh, it shows in our team. We uh, we defend as a unit from you know from Seba all the way back down to to the goalie. So I think our defense and our mentality has been has been terrific this year. And I think we have to touch on one of the underlying storylines this season, and it's it's that age difference. You know, so last year you went from being one of the oldest average age teams in the mm -hmm. league to now one, if not the youngest team in the league. How how much of a difference has that played for you guys on and off the field? No, a lot, you know, a lot of responsibility uh, out of nowhere because me and Leo were one of the youngest last year, and now this year we're the <laughs> oldest. So it's been a huge change, and, you know, um, you know, we, I think the players did a great job on taking that responsibility, like Leo, like so many players that we have on the team that are still young, but in the team, you know, we're, we're the oldest. So, you know, I think we, you know, the young people look at us and look up to us and try to, you know, do what we do and... And that's why we try to do the best we can. It's so funny you say young people. You guys are like 27, yeah. 28, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's young. Um, I think one of the coolest things about this rowdy unit as well is you guys are very, very good on the road. You're 7-1-3 on the road this year, which is kind of unheard of when you look at championship play and USL championship play especially. Teams struggle on the road in this league. And Scott and I have talked about it time and time again. We don't know what it is. The teams have such a hard time performing on the road. But you guys continue to get it done. Why do you think you're able to produce results on the road? Not only ties, but you're able to win on mm -hmm. the road. Um, I, I would say from, from the beginning of the season, that was one of our main focuses, performing on the road. Because in the past, we, we struggled. We were really good at home, but we struggled on the road. And I think just... Like I said before, the system just kind of helps us build us build us build our way into the game, and then we're able to 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 you know see the game out and see how, it, how it's playing. And if we if we get an early goal, we we know how to manage it. We're we're much more mature, and um, I would say we 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 just we have a little bit more experience than than in the past. Yeah, you you think the same? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, like Leo said, we struggled a lot in the past, um, you know, getting results away. And I think this year, since the Memphis game, the first game of the season, that gave us a real big push, you know, knowing that, you know, we could get, take results at, um, away from home and the three points are very important away. And, and I think we've done a great job at it. They make a big difference down the line, especially now we're in that, that bottom quarter of the season. And um, one of the, the big things that go on every season is the Open Cup. And I would love to get your guys' perspective on this tournament as a whole. And when you look at the Open Cup, there's a lot of questions surrounding it, I think. And, and for you guys, you got through the Villages and eventually lost 4-3 to OKC. How do you balance those matches when you're looking at Open Cup run and you compare it to the regular season? When you go into those games, is it a little bit different for you? Does it does it matter in a different way for you guys? Do you prepare differently? Uh, yeah, I think it definitely matters. You know, every game you play, we 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 you know matters. We um, it's just we it's just tough. It's 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 like a balance thing. You know, you 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 want to play you know your full squad, but you know that you got another game in two days, three days, and then. Uh, but for sure, you want you want to play the, in those games because you want to make it as far as you can. And you know, the more, the the farther you go, you know, the more eyes are on you. And and I think that's all positive. But in like, like I said before, it's tough because you need to balance things out. I think that's interesting. You say all eyes are on you because. Mm -hmm. Uh, this season, all eyes have been on you guys, and um, I I can't go throughout this interview without asking if you pay attention to what's going on in the Western Conference at all, because there are a lot of eyes on another team in in Phoenix. And um, do you do you guys pay close attention at all to what's going on on uh, the other side of the country in, in any way? Because they're doing big things out there. No, I, I mean personally, I do. You know, um, you always want to know who you have on the other side, just in case you get, you get to play them. Um, you know, in the past there was always that one game that we play somebody from the the other conference. This year is a little different, but uh, you know, you could play them in the final, and that you know that could that could prove who, who the real champion is. So, you know, Phoenix is doing a amazing. Um, there's a couple of teammates that we had from last year there, and we're very proud of them, obviously, and um, you know. Uh, so yeah, we keep an eye. Lighten it up a little bit here, Leo. Last year you started this, uh, you know, post goal celebration <laughs> with uh, the three fingers yeah. down thing, and the the people got to know what's the story behind that. Why why did you where'd that come from? <laughs> um, so in the locker room we we have like a little basketball hoop, and we would just have competitions every day, and you know. Every time I would hit a shot or I hit, you know, win the competition, I would do like a little basketball celebration that I hit like a three-pointer, and then it just it, it just stuck around. So after after I scored my goal, I just you know did it there, and and then uh, you know the fans started liking it. But yeah, it was a, it was a, it was just you know a little you know it happened out of nowhere. It started becoming a whole thing too. Like a few games later, all of a sudden you have the entire team doing the yeah. the three finger yeah. down celebration in the corner of the pitch. It was cool, especially from a visual perspective. So yeah. uh, I think one thing fans love is seeing that that little extra component to you guys, mm -hmm. a little bit of personality. Who who usually wins? In uh, you guys play some knockout or oh oh, it's, it's confident. That's a confident it's, point by Leo. Yeah, it's 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 me, but. It's just it, we have. It, <laughs> That's fine. It's just it's it, no. We, it's very. We're very competitive. You know, Seba. Any given day, Seba. Seba is you know number two. But <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, it's, it's very competitive. I love that. Uh, <laughs> Lastly here, I think um, one of the, the running jokes with us here in the front office is 
we love Neil Collins. He's a, he's a great guy. You know, we know him from his time as a player and now obviously as, as the coach. Um, we've done a few interviews with him over the past few years. And the running joke is that we always have to throw up closed captioning or something because we really have no idea what he's actually saying. Are there any moments for you where he's just, like, losing it and you're like, I have no idea what this guy is actually saying? Yeah, I had a lot of trouble when I first came. <laughs> you know, I had to put subtitles. But, um, but now as time went on, you know, I kind of captured his accent and now I'm pretty good with it. So, <laughs> Same for me. But, I mean, I've known him now for three years so I'm getting used to it but yeah, in the beginning it was I really had to you know stare at him and <laughs> try to listen as hard as I can read but his lips. yeah try to read his lips but now I'm way way better I have sometimes now I have to translate for the new guys but <laughs> <laughs> it's a reoccurring yeah. process at this point yeah. oh gosh well Leo Sebastian thank you guys so much for coming on today and uh, taking some time out of your busy schedules I know we've got uh, a lot coming up these next few weeks and a lot of important points to gather as we look towards the postseason so thanks for dropping by and uh, we will be seeing you sure uh, soon yeah. I'm sure thank, thank you very much appreciate it Hi, this is Meg Linehan of The Athletic, and you're listening to Steal Some Time. Steal Some Time is back with you here, and let me tell you, this Rowdies duo is something else. Yeah, and they're good. I, it was very difficult for me to hold myself back when they started to go at it about Neil Collins, and God, God love him. He is... It, 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 their reactions were priceless. No, it, they're they're fantastic. I mean, I've I've transcribed like two of Neil's clips this year, and I I paused it every second <laughs> to make sure I was getting, and that's without all the rewinds. So I can't even imagine the day to day, especially when you get that like angry Scott out of Neil. If I'm Sebastian, I'm just sitting there. Yeah, I love my head. I yeah. love watching the Rowdies when he gets mad at the officials because like you know the officials are like I don't care, I don't know what they're saying. <laughs> Well, who's this guy? What's his deal? Like he can yell at the officials all he wants. They don't know what he's saying. <laughs> it's it's really entertaining, but but yeah, a great conversation with with two uh, fantastic players. Obviously, um, wish them all the best. Loved being able to have them in yeah. on set with us Very too. Cool. I thought that was really cool and had a lot of really interesting things to bring to the table. A lot of things that we touched on earlier in the pod as well. That um, away mentality and, and um, you know that discipline as a whole. So a lot of things that they um, organically touched on, which I thought was um, a, a really nice uh, symmetry there. Looking ahead across our feeds. I have a few things that I want to touch on from this past week. Um, the first one being, I think that we've got to lead off with Baker Mayfield, which this may be the only time that we mention Baker Mayfield on a USL Championship podcast. Let's hope so. And <laughs> I agree. I very much uh, hope so. So oh, I got a couple Mayfield haters in the in the building. I, I can't with that right That's now. That's all right. All right. Um, in case you missed it, I don't know what you're doing on, on on social media if you didn't come across this, but Baker Mayfield pretty much took the whole uh, social media realm by storm this past week when he um, shotgunned a beer at the Indians game. But he didn't only shotgun the beer. He cracked it open with the side of his mouth. I mean, this dude, is he not like a loose cannon? Impressive. Yes. Okay. But like, <laughs> what? What? 
You know, I think that, that Baker understands uh, the entertainment value that comes with being Baker. And one thing that that guy and that type of personality rarely does is let an opportunity like that fall by the wayside. So he, he capitalized. That's a man who knows when the cameras are rolling. And, and yeah, I don't know if I'd, I'd probably go to the dentist immediately after and, like, check my canine teeth and, like, make sure that everything's still intact there. But he went all in. Respect from Scott Stewart on this side, definitely. Yeah, yeah respect, definitely. Um, I have had a little bit of worried as far as its dentals concerned. I hope everything checks out there. Um, I had a conversation with my dad earlier this week about this, and he's like, Kelsey, did you uh, did you see that video maker of Baker? Oh, my God. That was so cool, which that's great uh, Joe Steele impression. That's great. By the way. Um, and I'm like, yeah, you know, it's really interesting, for one, that my dad, who's this old-school football fan, to be so riled up over a, a the Browns quarterback. I'm a Bengals fan. And uh, I think what we're seeing right now as well is you're having these guys and, and quarterback those let like always these leadership positions quarterbacks have always been that leader of the team the face of the team you know you're looking at guys like Peyton Manning straight laced you know um, face of the organization leaders and and Baker is really transforming that and I just wonder if we're looking these next 10 years if we're going to see guys in these leadership positions kind of being a little bit more um, outspoken and free-spirited and kind of owning who they are rather than this you know PR side that we've seen for so long Baker enjoys being Baker yeah Johnny enjoys being Johnny but Cap enjoys being Cap. Cameron Newton enjoys being Cameron Newton. I think that, that there are a couple quarterbacks who have already sort of broken the mold a little bit for Baker. I think that yeah. when it comes to Baker, and I just mean this very candidly, um, his position in the National Football League and who he is as a person um, – and his background and a lot of the compliments that are directed towards him but aren't directed towards other players in the same positions uh, as our opportunities. And I, I hope that it's very clear where I'm going with this. I think that Baker is um, privileged to be where he is right now. And I don't think that he would disagree. I don't question the guy's work ethic at all. But if you look at the reactions around the people that were near him when he did that, nothing new. No one was surprised by what Baker had just done. And, and again, it's, he's you know getting ready for training camp or whatever's going on, maybe already in training camp. I'm not, a, not as big of an NFL guy as I used to be. But um, if you're looking for a leader, I don't know if you're looking right at Baker. But I also don't necessarily think that shock getting a beer takes away a leadership quality from him. I just think that uh, <clears throat> there are some quarterbacks who would kill for an opportunity to be where Baker is right now and, and won't get that opportunity. So I think everything is going to be scrutinized rightly or wrongly. Um, personally, I dig the I dig the chug. I dig that he went for it because he's, he's in front of the, the hometown, man. He's trying to rally up the crowd. I understand. Um, to your point, though, I think that, yeah, the mold's already been broken a little bit. Would you rather have your guy shotgunning a beer, cracking it open with his mouth at an Indians game, putting it back, or would you rather him – painfully putting it back with the lower third being Game of Thrones extra mm. at an NBA game. If you don't know who I'm referencing, I'm yeah, no, for you. No, no, I think I would take Baker. Yeah, I'd yeah. take Baker. Yeah. Uh, love yeah, that. Rogers is, Rogers is, uh, 
Rodgers is kind of a sissy. I'll just say it. <laughs> Rodgers is not my, my favorite guy in the league for sure. But Hot take. Hot take. He definitely can't put back a beer like his lineman can, and we know that now. <laughs> Scott I need to Stewart recover a minute. Hang with on. The Sorry, fire. everybody. I, uh, I confused the heating knobs, and I turned it all the way up to 10 when I should have just gotten like middle of the road, like a nice five or six. Oh, so. I'm going to let him have that one. He, yeah, he really thanks. likes that joke. Um, <laughs> all the... Green, all, the, all of our listeners in Green Bay are going to be very disappointed. Yeah. I'm Scott Stewart on Twitter. It's fine. I take it already. So bring it in. Uh, on a complete, you know, opposite note, before we get out of our, our social moments of the week, I really want to make sure that we take the time to acknowledge the, uh, you know, the, the fans and the community in El Paso and everything that they're going through at the moment. And um, I think what has truly been exceptional is seeing the leadership that uh, Sebastian Velasquez and his teammates have taken out of this tragedy, tragedy, and really trying to spin something positive out of it. So Sebastian has really taken it upon himself to promote this GoFundMe page that has been put together. for those of you who aren't familiar with the story, his um, there were there were two coaches who were raising money for their soccer team at Walmart and um, were uh, unfortunately shot. Um, but Sebastian has really rallied this soccer community and this USL championship community together and um, raising a lot of money. When I had checked it last night, they were already nearly at nine thousand dollars in a day. So I just it's really spectacular to kind of see this community rising and um, just from everyone here at USLHQ, I, uh, you know. We, we're with you guys completely and, um, you know, want to make sure that, that you guys know that you have our, our full support. Yeah, I mean, complete jokes aside, this is the social moment of the year. Yeah. Right? This is about a community who, and this is beyond, and I know that this is kind of a, against the ethos of this podcast, but this is beyond soccer. This is so much bigger than anything that involves a whistle or scoring goals or everything that El Paso does very, very well on the field. These, this is a team who took it upon themselves to step into a situation where they were not required to do any of this. And a simple WhatsApp message from one teammate to the other led into the entire group being involved, which led into multiple of them going down and donating blood hours after the incident. And I will say confidently that the phone call I received on Saturday afternoon was one of the worst in my career and it's a very young career but I hope it's the worst one I ever received because the news on the other end is something that you never ever want to deal with and so we are with the entire city of El Paso not just locomotive FC in here in Tampa Bay and uh, obviously when it comes to to the the on-field elements we're rooting for the guys to get back uh, we know that it's uh, it's been a very very strange and twisted last couple of weeks but it's been a been a very very um heartwarming initiative to see them put as much into this as they have and it's something to be incredibly proud of sebastian's been with el paso for a month as well so i i really think that's important to show how ingrained he already is with that community and how much he truly cares about everyone there and um you know i i can firmly say that i'm just i'm so proud to be associated with this you know usl championship community um if if you guys are looking to donate or want to do anything for the cause you can find sebastian on um twitter at uh, tia in underscore football and that's uh with a u not and not an o um we've i've also uh posted across my channels as well and that's kelsey j Steele, um as well as championship and, and scott stewart's channels as well so there's a lot of different outlets here that um we can you know really help make a difference in um 
bring bring some positive. It's exactly what Ali Bedoya said in in Philly on Sunday, and it's and in the response from that alone has led to the fact that these are athletes, but they are humans first. And whether you're in a place for a day, a month, a year, however long, you're a human. And so if you are that way, you take it upon yourself to be responsible for taking care of others around you. And whatever comes of this, however positive a light that can be shown on this, I hope that everyone finds it. Absolutely. Um, hoping that everyone takes that mentality with them, you know, the rest of the season, the rest of their lives. And, um, you know, as we look forward into week 23, I want to make sure that we're able to round up uh, a few games that uh, are uh, across um, our screens. I think that there's there's one here with Sacramento and Las Vegas this coming Wednesday for Wednesday Night Soccer that um, is going to be turning a lot of heads. And I think it's very uh, a very pivotal one for Sacramento as well. They're coming off of a win against San Antonio, which is massive for them, which they almost nearly didn't pull off as well. Um, I think you have uh, Stefano Bonomo and Cameron Owasa really delivering when you need them most. Um, I, they are really going to need to bring it on Wednesday. Yeah. National TV, baby. National ESPN TV. News. Sacramento loves it, and, and they've been very vocal about how much they love it. Vegas needs this. Vegas needs this You think Vegas needs it win. more than Sacramento? Sacramento's above the playoff line. Vegas has one win in their last five, six games, something like that. I mean, Vegas is, you don't want to call, I don't want to call it a tailspin. I don't want to get dramatic. But but Vegas, granted, it's the West, so it's very tight. Yeah, and, and yeah. I'll lead with that, of course. <laughs> I do want to interrupt you and say we've got uh, Vegas is below the playoff line at 14 with 26 points, and Sacramento has 30. Yeah. So that's how tight you yeah. this race is. And that's can, 7 to 14. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Please continue. So I understand that, that obviously the argument can be made that just one result swings it, but I think that Vegas mainly just needs to stop the bleeding. I mean, they, they lost to a very good Fresno team. They beat RGV a couple weeks ago, but a 4 1 to Tacoma, a 2 2 with LA2. A loss at home against OKC, preceded by a loss on the road to El Paso. It's been a very, very strange last month and a half for Vegas. And so that's why I say that on a stage this big, with most of your guys available again, this is the one that you want to take advantage of, even if it's just a mentality boost. Even if you just say, like, forget national TV, forget going on the road to the Republic. You know Sacramento's good. You know that it would be a a great result for you guys to win. That should be what they're honing in on. And I'm sure Eric Winalda, the man who has what seems to be a never-ending amount of tricks up his sleeve, very interested to see what Wednesday night looks like. Elsewhere in the West, we're looking ahead to Saturday night, and um, we've got Reno in San Antonio. And we just mentioned San Antonio and how it's been a season-long theme for these guys. They just can't get something big put together here. And um, we're looking down the stretch, and this is big time for San Antonio. And they, they're they looking at a, a Reno side that – is second in the Western Conference. Again, one of those teams that I would have never seen coming. They've got 44 points as well. And if you're looking down to San Antonio, you're looking at 27 points. So this is a very big margin for them. But I think that this is pivotal for San Antonio to get on the road. It would be massive. We're, I'm obviously points, whatever aside. But from a morale perspective, picking up three points on the road in Reno's house with a side that has lost one game in their last five mm-hmm. would be remarkable. Yeah, yeah. Reno's very, very talented. I think 
San Antonio has had a recent resurgence. They're, they just lost, obviously, this past weekend, but they were on a five-game unbeaten run, right. three of those wins. The addition of Frank Lopez on loan from L.A. too has helped spark their attack, and I think they've got all the pieces that they need. And I, we've, I think, done a pretty good job of, of <laughs> complimenting San Antonio when it's been difficult for them. Mm-hmm. And now I think it's time to say, okay, this five-game unbeaten run, show me that that loss last weekend was an outlier. Show me what's next for you guys. And a result on the road at Reno, just like you said, is right up that alley. Elsewhere in the in the West, we have to just quickly touch on Dollar Bill Nights happening again. Here we go. Um, Phoenix and El Paso. Uh, another big one as well. I mean, at some point, you got to wonder if if this streak is going to break. Sam Dor and Phoenix Rising is going to tell you, uh-huh, no. I'm here to see where the chips may fall. Um, but at this point, I think Phoenix is full steam ahead, and I don't think El Paso is going to shake that tree. Depending on who's available. I'll I'll definitely watch this. Jerome game. Keys of Water is available. It does change the story, right? I will I will definitely watch this game regardless, likely. But uh, Phoenix has an incredibly difficult next three game stretch. Granted, again, all at home, and I, I know we've touched on this before, so I won't harp on it. But El Paso, Reno, Sacramento, those are three very very good teams, regardless of their position in the table. And you really only say that about Sacramento and El Paso. Phoenix just gets it. They get it done. When they were 2-2 with L.A., I thought to myself, surely this is not going to be the one against L.A. Galaxy 2 that ends up breaking the streak. And they they proved it that it wasn't going to be, you know? Twelve wins don't happen by accident. No one's going to pretend that they do. Can you get through El Paso? Then you can look at Reno. It's going to be one that I think is, uh, this is your main card for Saturday night. This is This is the big fight. Week 23 heading your way, a heavy Western Conference load this week as well. So make sure you're tuning in to all of those. A a lot of substantial results going to come out of that way. And speaking of substantial results, Matt Cavill, can we get some hot takes up in here? <laughs> Is it time to argue about something? Yes. Yeah. It's been about three minutes since we've argued <laughs> on the show. So um, it's it's not anything particularly topical. It's just something that... It's a debate that rages in our country, and I feel like it's a, it's a very common and frequent debate. And oh my gosh, I think I know what it is. I think it's time that we address the issue here on Steal Some Time to uh, to help America. I get so like, nervous worried. when he yeah, does this. Yeah, I get kind of worried. He talks it up so much, and it just ruins me mentally. That's all part of the plan. <laughs> um, no, it's pretty sim- simple and straightforward. Pizza toppings. What does and does not belong on your pizza. Can I can I just say that I knew that's what he was going to say. I yeah. swear I, I swear Here she to is you. again. Last week it was a dream that she had. This week it was just some premonition, this innate knowledge that you, she carries. I have this sixth sense and and why have you not bought me lottery tickets? <laughs> <laughs> I just need to keep it for myself. Matt this does not Yeah, she really you. doesn't use it for good. You got to create your own luck, man. <laughs> Put this on me. Thought we were tight. <laughs> I'm sorry. Please continue. Just realize that I have not determined the winner yet. Yeah, like dug a hole there. Yeah. All right. Uh, who won last week? I think I I won last week, okay. but I did defer to Kelsey as well last week. No, who did was I? Last week? No, no, I no, no, no. You won last week. Take my but, w yes. from Ooh, I'm me. sorry. I was just so used to winning so many consecutive oh. weeks that I lost track uh-huh. of when, I, when I was wow. dropping one. Wow. 
That's no, no, six was, sense. Was, you should have seen that joke groupies. coming. God, he's trying a lot today. It was the pet, pet peeves argument. God. And uh, Scott picked a pet peeve, and it's actually a problem of mine. So We got some good response from the pet peeves as we did. well. We did. I feel you guys. So yeah. pizza toppings to you, Kelsey Steele. We're just, I'm sorry, are, are we saying like what we do and what we don't want? Like what shouldn't go you, on a pizza? You take that in any or all directions. Wow. This is it's a free argument right this here. This is just there's so many different free ways range. we can go. So I'm going to... I guess go with like or both. Like just like what is your go-to and then what shouldn't be on there? Like what should never be on your pizza? God, I just love food. All right, um, all right. <clears throat> Are you ready? Yeah. All right, go. I think cheese pizza, plain cheese pizza, pizza is a catastrophe. Okay, well, you're literally just eating bread. Like, why don't you save some money and go put some cheese on some chips or something? Like, I'm getting nothing out of a piece of cheese pizza. You know what I want? Some meat. Throw some sausage, some bacon, some ham. Make this a meal, people. You need your protein, and you're not going to get that from a cheese pizza. And honestly, why are you paying $15 at a restaurant for a freaking cheese pizza? Like, get something out of it, and meat is the way to go, and it's so good. I would just like to point protein. out the obvious. She shied away from the pineapple argument immediately. You know, she shied away from it, and I just want that to be taken into the courts. This, this is really where record. America rages. Is that yep. big, I just, are you going to go pineapple? I am going to go. I'm going to talk on the pineapple argument. Okay, we'll talk about it after you go. I just love how Calcito has to come back to like nutrition, like protein. You guys, protein is so <laughs> vital to. We're not it is massive this. amounts you of need protein. protein. All right. Are you ready, you don't Scott? I really need pizza, but yeah, here we are. Yeah. Uh, so so um, when it comes to toppings on pizza, pineapple is a very controversial one, but here is why I believe that pineapple is not only an acceptable topping, but should be a regulated topping. Not only is it largely accepted, re-e, multiple pizza chains offer very specific Hawaiian pizzas, but if you want to talk about putting anchovies, putting oh. jalapeno peppers on your pizza, but you're going to discriminate pineapple, no, no, no. Two things, soccer for all, toppings for all. Pineapple is extremely acceptable. Yep, wow. just shut it down. Wow. I was going to go the banana pepper route. I hate them on my yeah. pizza. That's like the only yeah. thing that I really... But that's the thing. Like if you're going to condone, like condemn pineapple on your pizza, but you're going to do like anchovies and all these like really like ancillary toppings, then miss yeah. me with that, man. That's mean. I would say to you, sir, that I condemn both anchovies and pineapple. <laughs> And that's wow. also a fair argument. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I pineapple fruit does not belong on my pizza. I think if you I just mix can't, it with I can't meat, get with that it's a different though. Story, yeah, man, you put a little ham in with it. You got a good thing going. Would you put on. peppers on Kelsey, your pizza? Kelsey, you're winning. Just stop. Oh, Tread lightly. Would you put peppers on your pizza? I just like think the this bell is highly. I, I would do regular peppers. The not bell peppers. And that all of that's fine, but you're still talking about non-traditional toppings, and I just think that it's very no, selective. No, well, I would argue that pe pe bell peppers are a traditional topping on a pizza. But not banana peppers, not and banana those peppers. are regularly no, offered. Banana, Same with jalapeno peppers. peppers. Listen, I'm, I'm going to take the L, and that's totally fine, but I think that this is highly discriminatory <laughs> and needs to be addressed at a higher court than this one. I do want to... I will bring this up with the court of sport arbitration. <laughs> uh, here's the thing about the judgments in this court in this courtroom is that they are often predetermined and... <laughs> And admittedly so. Yeah, so, no, that's um, cool. I will say this. I I think we are 11 weeks in to steal some time. I think this is the first argument that Scott and I can agree on. I don't know how you feel about meat, but I... No, yeah, cheese pizza, just throw some cardboard at my mouth and some sauce and cheese, and we practically hit it. My dude. This is an issue in my home. Cheese yeah. pizza. My son, really? my son likes cheese pizza, mm. and I'm like, Lynn, we're getting halves, man. Yeah. 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 
Because I need cow and pig on that pizza. <laughs> We're in it here. Appreciate your livestock, people. They're producing great meat for you. Pizza all around. Farming, farm farming reference. Yep. Anyone keeping Kelsey still bingo. There it is. You've, you've got some sort of combination. You made it this far. Hats off to you. We will catch you next time on Steal Some Time. <laughs>